Um, so for those of you who don't come here regularly or you've never been in here before, we are in a little series that we call DNA. Sarah mentioned it. We basically where we're just talking about what kind of church do we want to be because we are early stages as a church. And in the early stages of a church, you have to talk quite a lot about who we're trying to be because obviously different churches have different approaches, different views on things. And so we've just tried to like be as clear and as honest and as transparent as we be, can be about, well, who are we and what are we trying to do here in Rotterdam? So um, this is the final week. For those who are thinking, will this series ever end? Yes, it will. Today it's ending. Next weekend, we're going to sp- start a series out of Galatians. So far more just working through a book. I'd encourage you to read Galatians over these next few weeks. And we've got probably some recommendations of good kind of books to read alongside it. So in a sense, we will switch the style of preaching a little bit as well. This has been a bit more thematic. That will be a bit more kind of expository. Uh, And personally, I think both and are good. Both approaches are helpful in a church, but we're going to switch. So today, today is going to be even a little bit more different as well. So, um, but basically over the last four weeks or so, we've talked about what is the Bible picture of church, four pictures of church, the body, the people, the temple, the embassy, all different pictures of the type of what God calls a church to be. What's our particular emphasis in Rotterdam? What are we going for? We're people of the word. We're people of the spirit. We want to be people that serve and bless the city. So some different emphasis as well. And then we picked out a couple of, if you like, more contentious issues where we go, do you know what, we have to just get clear about, well, where do we stand on the issue of, say, leadership? Different churches will have a different approach that's not wrong or right. It's just helpful to know, well, where do we lean on how leadership works in the church? And also on the issue of sexuality, because we live in a culture which has, raises huge questions around the issue of sexuality. And so we were just like, well, this is a tricky one. We've got to wrestle with it. We want to be a people that are full of truth, but also full of grace. And how do we navigate those two things together? So we've kind of looked at all those things. And today in this final one, I want to do something completely different. I hope it's going to work. And I want to tell you a little bit of my story. Uh, kind of really just growing up. And some of the things over the last few years, over the last... Oh, I'm only 32. So over the last 32 years, no, over the last 52 years, things, some things that I've learned. This is not everything I've learned. There are one or two other things I've learned. I've learned, for example, that when you wash socks in the washing machine... At least some of those socks go missing and they leave. I don't know where they go. Does anybody else have that experience? Yes. You can put two of them in and only one comes out. I have no idea where they're living, but they're all, they're all living in your house. Okay. Yeah, things like that, you know, or the fact that our, you know, our appliances occasionally seem to kind of enter some kind of suicide technological pact and all die in the same moment. Weird things like that. I've learned that life goes far too fast as you get older. And uh, you never get to the end of your to-do list and things like that, okay? So not everything you're going to hear is everything I've learned or one or two other things. But I just want to talk about it because I think some of the things I'm going to mention from my kind of last few years is maybe going to help explain, oh, that's why they have an emphasis on that in this church. Because it always flows out of people's story as well as hopefully their view of the Bible. So... I grew up in the UK. I grew up in a little town called Bishop Stortford, just outside London. If you've ever flown to Stansted Airport, I lived not in the airport, but near the airport. Okay, I was very fortunate. I had a mum and dad who loved me. I got two older brothers who I think also quite liked me. Although when I was growing up, you could never quite tell. My mum was a chiropodist. Anybody know what a chiropodist is? It's a foot doctor, which when you're a 
teenage boy felt like it was just a gross thing to want to do, but my, my mum fixed people's feet. My dad worked for the government. Uh, my dad had the gift, that, and you'll probably, you might meet my dad, and you could ask him if you like. Basically, my dad had a gift that you could ask him what he did for a job, he would tell you, and after, at the end of it, you'd have no idea what he did, which meant that we assumed he was a spy. So we all grew up with the assumption my dad was a spy, uh, we had friends of ours who thought he was a spy as well, so they got off to the station f- and followed him. They were work- tried to find out where he worked. So uh, that was the kind of family joke that my dad was a spy. And they took us to church, and I grew up going to a Methodist church. I know some others of us, Stu, and others, that was your history, which was a full of good people, quite traditional church in the UK. And I'm very grateful for it. I'm very grateful for my background. I've been fortunate. But I have to say, although it was a happy place... It was not a place that I really expected God to be. God was conceptual to me. I didn't necessarily feel that he was real to me. I kind of like thought he was probably real, but if he was around, he was probably asleep and he wasn't anywhere near me. That's probably my, I'm not saying that's a good view, but that was probably my, uh, my perception, if I'm honest. And that started to change when I was about 12 years old. And some of you have heard this a little bit before, so forgive me if you've heard a bit of this. But when I was 12 years old, In the town that I can grow up in, I grew up in, I can only describe it as God began almost like a mini revival amongst the lives of teenagers. And there were lots of churches in the in the town who had some teenagers, but God started to do something remarkable in their lives. There were youth group gatherings of all these different teenagers, and rather than just being social events, they started to become places where young people started to hunger for God's presence started to pray together, started to expect God to show up, started to pray for one another. People were bringing their friends and people, young people were becoming Christians. And all I can say is I got caught up with that. I was 12 years old. I got caught up in that, started to go to these things. I mean, just to give you an idea of what was going on. So Sunday nights in our town, there was a particular house, particular family who opened up their house. Young people from all the churches started showing up on a Sunday night. And at times they had up to 70, 80, 90 young people crammed into someone's front room. People were getting prayed for, people starting to get healed, like remarkable things. Prayer meetings started on Wednesday nights. No adults involved, right? This was teenagers deciding, let's get together Wednesday night, we're going to pray. And I started to go to those things as a kind of 13, 14-year-old. And all I can say was the sense that God was real and God was not just real, but maybe here, blew my mind. I'd never thought that that could ever happen. But when people start praying for people and people start getting healed, that really, like, that really changes your thinking about maybe God is here. And that's what we started to see. So I remember one girl coming around our house, a friend of my brother's, she'd broken her toe with a, bun- a bunch of her mates were there. They all crammed into my brother's bedroom. They prayed for her and her toe just clicked back into place. I'm like, uh, we went to a youth camp and this guy broke his ankle or or badly damaged his ankle. We never got a diagnosis. Playing frisbee or something. You know, if you've ever been to a camp and there's guy ropes everywhere, it's a dangerous place to play any sport when there's tents. And he came over, did his ankle really badly. Three or four people prayed for him. I was there and his ankle just like instantly healed. Now, I've not seen that in many other places, but... We had a lady turn up at our prayer meeting, our Wednesday night teenager-only prayer meeting, who was blind, and we prayed, and her sight partially returned. So this was my history, and I'm not making that up. And all I can say is God sovereignly did something 
which meant that in my heart is a deposit of a desire that God is not, he doesn't just want us to know about him, but wants us to know him. And the psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good. In other words, don't just know about him. You can know him. He's present. Now, I didn't have a lot of theology for that. I couldn't tell you all sorts of things that I might be able to tell you now, but I began to be aware of of passages like Joel 2, where it says, this is a prophetic promise. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And that is a prophetic promise of then what happens in Acts, which is Pentecost, which is this moment in church history, from, which goes from the Holy Spirit is poured out on certain individuals at certain times to now an expectation. It's like a threshold moment that actually God's spirit is available to all Christians at all times in all places to come and live within you. It's like a, it's an absolute threshold. It's a, everything pivots on that moment in terms of our experience of God's presence. And uh, so as I've got older, I've learned more theology, but those moments were foundational for me in terms of an expectation that God is here and he wants to do something when we gather. So when we gather, we're not just having, let's sing some nice songs, let's sing some modern songs, let's have a good time. Hopefully that is true. But really what we're doing is we're saying, God, we want to know you. Because you promised, Jesus, that just two or three are gathered, you're there in our midst. Now, if you said that, we want to press into that. So that has become a very important value to me. I don't want to just know about him, I want to know him. And I think he wants us to to know him. He wants to be known. Mm -hmm. However... At the same time, I would want to say that part of my story is this as well, that encounter or the presence of God is only part of the story. Okay, what I mean by that is you read the story of the people of Israel, for example, who get brought out of slavery, out of Egypt, the Exodus, they get brought out, they're being taken to a new land, and they see the most remarkable, uh, like, spiritual moments, you know, like waters part, bread out of the sky, water out of rocks. I mean, incredible, miraculous moments. And you would think anybody who witnesses that kind of stuff, that is going to change them forever, wouldn't you? Just a couple of miracles like that, and I will believe. What happens is these people see all this stuff, and yet they remain unchanged, they moan, they doubt, they, they're critical. Like they, they, they have a remarkable encounter or series of encounters, and yet actually... They, they miss their inheritance. For 40 years, they wander around because they're disobedient. And my history is uh, the, a lot of the people that I was good friends with who had remarkable encounters with the Holy Spirit, and I think they were very real, went on to make horrible life choices. You know, relationships falling apart, all sorts of, like, bad stuff. Not just circumstantial things that happened to us. That's different, I think. This was things that they caused by the choices they made in their lives. And I think it's important to know that this is certainly one of my values is the Bible is, you know, the story of Acts and the breakout of the spirit and the birth of the church is incredibly important. But so is the book of Proverbs, which is a book of wisdom. And the Bible is a both and book. We want we want to know God. We want to sense his presence. But we also want to take responsibility for our lives and make good choices and build people around us who help us make good choices and not abdicate responsibility to God and go, well, you just sort it all out. Because sometimes God's going, you make a good choice in line with the things I've already told you. Mm -hmm. So 
Um, there's a great passage in James 1. It says this, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. In other words, you can hear great teaching, but unless we do something with it, we just walk away as if and we've forgotten what we look like. And that passage is a provocation that we have to do something with the things that we know. We have to step out. We have to put into practice. So that means I'm a kind of both and kind of person, right? I believe in the presence of God, but I also believe in common sense. I think God's given us people to guide us and give us wisdom. And we want both, okay? I believe in prophetic words and I believe in strategic thinking. Both, not one or the other, not separating the two, but both. I believe in planning and believe in Holy Spirit spontaneity, both. Okay, I think the Holy Spirit can inspire planning. I believe in spiritual, supernatural guidance, but I also believe in wisdom, both and. Now, as a teenager, I'd become a Christian in those early years, but I, I kind of got birth into this like, expectation that God was real. And at some point in my teenage life, years, when I was about 14, 15, I got baptized. Now, I mention this because my history was a church where, we, where children were christened. Okay, so I was christened as a baby. And the pathway was, in terms of that was their view of baptism, you got christened, and then when you were a bit older, you become a member of the church. And that is the moment publicly that you declare your faith as you become a member. And that was my history. But my parents were very gracious. They allowed me to go to another church because I said, I want to go to this different church. And they were very wise and they let me go rather than trying to keep them in a church that I was, I think, going to spiritually die in. Okay, not everybody was in, but I was. I needed to go somewhere else. And they were wise. They let me go. And in this church that I went to, they taught what they would describe as believer's baptism. In other words, they would teach that baptism is for people who are adult or old enough to make the decision for themselves. That is a decision of faith in Jesus and that it is the response to repent, to repent and be baptized. That's part of the salvation package. That's what they taught. Now, I wrestled with that. Because my history was, I'd been christened. Although I felt like, oh, I can see this in the Bible, but I'm, I'm wrestling because my history is something different. And I felt, if I made this step, I'm being disloyal to my history. My mom and my dad, my granddad was a Methodist minister, my great auntie was a Methodist deaconess. You know, like, we were, the ma- we were like Methodist mafia. And I can't, <laughs> like, what happened? If I, I'm just being disloyal. Um, but I wrestled and wrestled, and I felt the tension of it. And I eventually got baptized as in full immersion, as a teenager, my own decision. Now I say that because I believe, as best as I can read the Bible, that is what bi- baptism in the New Testament is. It's a decision with repentance as a believer, as an adult, and I think the mode is full immersion. I think that's secondary, but I think that's the, the New Testament picture, is full immersion in water, because it pictures death and life. That's the picture, right? But my history is, I know different ones of us come from different backgrounds, as I did, that have seen that as a different, there's different ways of being baptized. And as I want to say in this church, we're going to teach believers' baptism, like I've just described, but we also respect and honor the fact that different ones of us from, from different countries, we have different church backgrounds, and in your conscience, you have a different view of baptism. And I respect that, because I know what that's like as well. So in our church, we will embrace that, but we will also teach something. Provoke you, but embrace everybody in that sense who'd made that step in their, in their church history. So I got baptized. 
Several years later, I was privileged enough to go to university. And um, I studied history nominally. No, I did study history. I actually put quite a lot of work in. But I also played a lot of sport and a lot of music. And I learned a few things. Um, but two particular things I learned in terms of my spiritual walk at university. Here's the first one. You cannot find your old church. You've got to find a new one. So I went to university looking for my old church, hoping I'd find it here. The problem is I hunted around this city and I couldn't find my old church in this new place. And if you spend your life looking for the church you came from in this new place, you're going to really struggle because you don't find it. Okay? I understand we've got to find a church that we feel at home in, we've got to find a church that we feel good about, but don't think you're going to find the old church in the new city. And I, I learned that lesson. I learned that lesson so that later on in life I was like, I'm just going to find a church, even if it's not the one I most want. Okay, there's no utopia out there in terms of church. So I learned the lesson. And um, so what it meant was I didn't really find a church. I, uh, and here's the second lesson. I learned that without other Christians around me, I really struggled in my Christian walk. Okay? Uh, that, that was my experience. I didn't go completely off the rails, but I drifted. And I learned a lesson that I need people around me to help me walk a Christian life. In fact, I learned the lesson, and my theology caught up with my experience later on, that we are never made to walk it on our own. The Western church have made Christianity an individual thing, as if it's just me and Jesus. Well, it is just me and Jesus, but it's never meant to be just me and Jesus, especially me and Jesus in the context of us and Jesus. Okay, And I cannot do it on my own. And there's a guy called John Ortberg, who's an American pastor teacher, who says this little phrase, he says, community tethers us to what we value most. That's true. I have found that absolutely to be true. Genesis 2, verse 18. It's not good for man to be alone. So a strong value of ours in this church will be we need one another, okay? We need community because community is the place where faith comes alive. We meet Jesus in the midst of one another, actually, Yes, I can meet Jesus on my own. I believe that as well. But I think we, we meet Jesus in the midst of, and that, of each other, and that's how we're made. I think that's absolutely how God's made us. And if we try and be the exception to the rule, and I'll just stay on there. I won't really get involved in church. But I, I think faith struggles without a community. And by that, I mean not just somewhere I attend. I mean somewhere that I'm a part of, somewhere that I find friends people that I laugh with, cry with, pray with, share with, worship with. So community and friendship are a big deal to us. Okay, fast forward. I managed to pass my degree. At the end of it, I went abroad for a little while. Thank you very much. And um, it's, it's 30 years late, but thank you for that round of applause. And, uh, and um, I went abroad. I went and worked in a school in India, and I came back, and I moved to London. And much to my dad's delight, I used my history degree by playing music in a band. Like, every father loves that choice as their child. Uh, so I ended up trying to make a living as a musician in South London, made, played a lot of music, made virtually no money. Um, but anyway, there we go. I had to kind of, I had to go through that season. And I did that for about three or four years. Now, I'll tell you that story because about three or four years into that experience, I felt, started to feel increasingly uncomfortable with what I was doing and increasingly sensed that maybe this season was coming to an end. And God was 
I think, and I was walking with God, I was going to a church that I didn't particularly love, but I was going to it because I knew community was really important. And I just felt like God was putting his finger on me and feeling like, I think this needs to come to an end. And I wrestled again, okay? I really wrestled with it. And I remember praying, and I remember I just was reading through like the Bible in the year, and I got to the story about Abraham and Isaac. Now, I know what I'm about to tell you. There's much more fundamental uh, interpretation of what this passage actually means, you know, about the, that it's pointing to Jesus being the sacrificial lamb and all these things. But I read that story about Abraham and Isaac, where Abraham is for years, they wanted a baby. God's promised to him and Sarah they're going to have a baby. They don't have a baby. And then finally Isaac arrives, and then God says to Abraham, sacrifice him. I'm like, man. And I remember reading this story, and I thought, I felt God say to me, you need to lay it down. I'm calling you to sacrifice the thing that's closest to your heart. So I felt God saying, you need to lay down the music thing. I'm like, oh, I don't want to do that. Like, I really don't want to do that. But I just felt, have you ever had that experience where you just, you don't get peace? And I, I'm not at peace. And I wrestled with it for months. And I felt God say this to me, just as I prayed on my own, I felt God say, if you'll sacrifice, you'll lay it down, I'll give it back to you. Because that's what happens in the story, isn't it? You know, lay it down, sacrifice it, let it go, and I will give it back. So I really wrestled. But I got to the point where I was like, okay. So I remember having a conversation with the guys I played music with, and I said, I think I've got to end. I didn't tell them the Abraham and Isaac bit because they weren't Christians. They'd be like, what is this? But I told them, and I, I laid it all down and walked away from it, and I was like, oh, that really cost me. And then about two months later, I ended up being asked to work for the church where I was at King's in London. And part of that was to lead the worship team and the youth thing. And I felt God begin to give it back to me. And then for the next 25 years, I worked for that church. And part of my responsibility was to lead a worship team. And we ended up having a team of 60 or 70 musicians in that church. And I felt God gave it back to me. But I had to let it go first. I had to lay it down. And what I learned was there is a principle in the New Testament that sometimes we have to die to things. In fact, right at the heart of being a Christian is the principle that you surrender your life. Repentance, where Jesus goes, repent, and then be baptized. Repentance is basically saying, I am giving up the right to my life. I'm acknowledging God that I'm not very good at being in charge of my life. In fact, all I do is produce brokenness. And I need to give my life up to I give it to you and say, I want you to be Lord, which means I will make decisions in my life in line with what you say, not in line with what I think. That is what being a Christian is. So when Jesus calls the disciples, he says, leave everything, follow me. What's he saying? He's saying, die to your old life, leave it, walk away, follow me. And as you follow me, trust me that I will bring you into a new life. Right? So Stuart and Abby in one sense, there's a bit of death in this moment, this transition moment. But there's a bit of death with with the expectation that this new season, there'll be new life. And I learned this lesson that actually God calls us at times. When you first become a Christian, it's about dying and trusting Jesus for a new life. And then as you go on being a Christian, it's about dying to things. Trusting him that he will bring us into life. So Jesus, a couple of verses, John 12. Very truly, I tell you. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Jesus is saying right at the heart is a trust that if you will die to this, then there can, new life can come up. 
Matthew 10, whoever finds their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. In other words, if you will die to your old life, if you will trust Jesus enough to follow him, Jesus is going, trust me, I will bring you into a better life than you can ever have carved out for yourself. So sometimes but we become Christians and sometimes there's aspects of our old life we want to keep hold of. We go, okay, Jesus, I'm going to follow you, but the money thing I'm going to keep, I, I'll be in charge of that one. Yeah? And we try and keep hold of it. And Jesus is going, no, I want to be Lord of all your life. I want you to trust me with all of your life, not some of it. Otherwise, I'm not really Lord of your life. And I've probably used this picture before, but it's a bit like, you know, if you've ever taught any of your kids to drive, any of us ever had that thrilling experience? <laughs> there is the moment when you teach your children to drive where you switch chairs, right? And you go, okay, you have... I mean, we're not like the driving instructor where ha- you have your own steering wheel, your own <laughs> brake. If it's going to go horribly wrong, you can intervene. You can't intervene. They have the steering wheel and the brake and the accelerator. That's the scary part. And access to the gears and all that stuff. They are driving. And you, can have, you have very little control other than looking nervous and suggesting things and what watch out things like that that's all the control you have right when you become a christian you're going okay you have this you sit in this chair okay you, you i'm following you i'm trusting you and every so often we kind of lean across and we go jesus maybe i could just take the steering wheel back on the maintenance okay okay jesus is after your whole life my whole life because he's saying if you'll give me your whole life, I will lead you into life in all these areas. But surrender and actually death is right at the heart of being a Christian. It just is. And it's interesting, 25 years later on, and I'll talk about it a little bit in a minute as we close, that experience then when I was 23, something like that, 24, we then experienced again. Because God said to me when I was that young, Will you lay the music thing down and I have something else for you, even though I didn't know what it was? Uh, 25 years later on, I felt God say, I need you to lay everything down. You've worked for this church for 25 years. The season's coming for an end. You don't know where you're going to go. Your kids have all grown up in London, but it all... And I felt God say to me, literally, put it all down. I don't know if you've ever watched the James Bond films where he inevitably has a poker game somewhere in James Bond. Anybody know those bits? Yeah? And there's always a bit where he goes, put it all on Jack, Black, Eight, or something. Whatever they, and they put it all on, and you think, he's nuts. Like, he's crazy. And somehow he tells, and it's like, I don't know. It's rigged, or whatever. And I literally felt God say, put the whole thing on the table. Like, we'll move, we'll leave, we'll leave our friends. We'll, we'll, I don't know how our kids are going to find it. It's like, okay, put the whole thing in. Because... I'd been through a dress rehearsal 25 years before. And God was like, remember? You laid it down. I looked after you. Now, do it again. This time, everything goes on. God calls us to that kind of sometimes. So, I, um, I ended up working for this church. Left this huge music career I had. And, uh, <laughs> and ended up working for this church. And... Um, we had a pretty remarkable 25 years of working there. The church grew enormously. We learned a lot of things. It was a time of great blessing. But I want to tell you something. I never thought I would be a leader of anything. Okay. 
Someone asked me once, do you want to be involved in church leadership? I was like, no chance. They were like, why is that? I said, because leaders get all the stick. There's like, no chance. I just, I didn't think I could lead. I'd had a bit of a broken experience at school where my confidence had been like really damaged as a teenager. I had no expectation at all or desire to lead a church. So everybody, you're thinking, well, I've signed up to be part of this church. And the guy doesn't, okay. It has changed a little bit for me. I'm a bit more secure about it now. But I want you to know, I, I didn't have any expectation of leading anything. And the reason I'm saying this to you is because it took someone else to come along to me and go, would you come and be with us? Would you come and help with our youth work? Would you come and be in the worship team? Would you lead the worship team? And it took someone else to extract it from me and for me to begin to do stuff and go, oh, okay, maybe. Maybe, maybe God's put something in me. And I discovered that God had put something in me. But I'm not the kind of character who's going to stick his hand and go, pick me, pick me, pick me, like in Shrek, if you've ever watched Shrek. Okay, I'm not that character. I'm the one who's more likely to go, oh, let somebody else do it. And the reason I said it to you is because it's left in me this strong conviction that I think all of us, God has more for us than we realize. Mm -hmm. And he has put more potential in us than we realize. Mm -hmm. And often we live below the limit of what he really wants for us. C.S. Lewis once said, we are far too easily pleased. Mm -hmm. I think it's true. So it has left me with a strong conviction that God has gifted people in the church in ways that we have somehow doubted, questioned, ignored, didn't even know it was there. And so we want to build a church which, as best as we can, encourages people not to be naive and go, hey, you're going to be a great singer. Even I'm not pointing at you at all. <laughs> but, you know, like when someone clearly cannot sing, you know, like on, on, you know, in teenage programs on TV, I don't know they have it in the Netherlands, but in the UK, occasionally they kind of go, hey, if you just work hard enough, you can follow your dreams. I mean, what a load of nonsense. It's just not true. If someone can't sing, they're never going to be, don't follow that dream, okay, because you can't sing. But that doesn't mean that, that God hasn't put great things in you. And God has more for you. I truly believe it because I've, I've, that's been my story. And sometimes it needs others of us to come along and go, there's more in you. Don't, don't settle. There's more leadership there. There's more influence there. There's more possibility there. God has put... Who of us wants to get to the end and go, I wish I'd tried that? None of us want that. We all want to go, no, I spent everything I had on it. I gave it everything I had. So that's a strong conviction of mine, as you can probably tell. Lastly, this. So we moved to Rotterdam. Oh, we moved to the Netherlands a year and a half ago. We moved to Rotterdam a year ago on Friday. So we're not quite born and bred Rotterdam, but we have been here for over a year. My kids tell me I'm not even born and bred London because I didn't grow up there. So they don't, they even, I didn't even, you know... I didn't really, like, fit in there, apparently. No, you're not a Londoner, Dad. So, anyway, but we've been in Rotterdam for a year. It was not our idea to move to Rotterdam, although we're very grateful to be here. God clearly, remarkably spoke to us and drew us here. And I don't have time to tell you that story. But God remarkably spoke to us about coming to this city and helping start a church. And we are super grateful to him and to you for being part of this journey altogether. But here's the thing that I've learned and here's the thing I'm still learning. I really do believe God knows what we need. Matthew 6 says this great passage. You've, some of you have heard me quote this before. Jesus says these words. Why do you worry about clothes? <laughs> I hope you can read. Would anybody like to read that for us? <laughs> yeah. It's gone a bit weird. Okay, I'll read it to you. See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, 
Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. And here's the clincher. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And, you know, you probably heard me say that. I always find that last verse a little bit like, oh, ouch, that's a bit sad. But there's this bit in there where Jesus goes, put me first, seek first my kingdom. I know what your need might, your father knows. Trust me enough that you can make the big calls in line with what I'm calling you to do. And it will be all right. You don't have to hedge your bets. You don't have to try and keep control of something, but also kind of go with God. It doesn't really work. And I'm still learning this lesson. But our move here was a big move for us, big move for Sarah and I, big move for our family, big move on all sorts of fronts. And most of us have moved from different parts of the world. And you've all been through these massive moves where you kind of go, God, I don't know. I don't know how this is going to work out. Financially, relationally, family-wise, I just don't know how it's going to be. And so many of us have lived in that or are living in that sense of uncertainty or cost. How amazing it is in Matthew 6 where Jesus goes, don't worry about tomorrow. It's a bit disappointing where he goes, tomorrow's got enough worries of its own. That's like, I changed that bit of the Bible. But don't worry about tomorrow. Seek first my kingdom and all these things will be given to you as well. He knows the plans he has for us, Jeremiah, plans to prosper us and not to harm us. God is absolutely calling you and me to put him first. But his promise is if we do that, he will take care of all the other things. And that's something I've learnt, something I'm still learning. But I want to encourage you to be that kind of person. Now you might be in a season where you go, I'm quite a long way from God, if I'm honest. Or, I don't even know Jesus. And if that's you, I want to encourage you to find out about him. Say, God, if you're there, I just need to, I need to hear you. Or maybe spiritually you're a Christian, but you just, it's just been a bit dead for you inside for a while. You just feel far away. Okay, I want to encourage you. I think God might be calling you, drawing you, reminding you of who he is. And I want to encourage you also, if you're just here and you go, now I'm walking with God, I want to encourage you, keep going. I believe God's got more for you. So let's stand together. I'm going to pray. We're going to just worship. Then we're going to break bread together.